1: It's important we look at the facts. Why? Why?
2: Douglas Ross is sounding pretty scared.
1: I believe in independence. And he
2: clapped
0: like a seal. Hello and welcome to another Planet Hollywood. I'm Paul Hutchin, political editor of the Daily Record. Joining me this week to chew over the drama in Scottish politics are regular guests, John Ferguson, who's the political editor of the Sunday Mail, and Douglas Dickey of the Scottish Daily Express. So, um, it's the story that they can't shut down, and frankly, it's their own fault. I think the last few weeks, the Scottish government has been on the rack, a rack of its own making, over the WhatsApp COVID inquiry scandal. So just to give you a a, a very brief summary, uh, it was revealed recently by a KC to the UK Covid inquiry that the Scottish government hadn't handed over any WhatsApp messages um, relating to the pandemic. Uh, It was then revealed that Jason Leach had been deleting his messages. Um, Our guest John Ferguson then revealed that this was also true of Nicholas Sturgeon. Um, So the latest bit of drama, if you want to call it that, is a statement from the Deputy First Minister. Shona Robeson to Parliament yesterday in which she made quite a, an important correction and um, she had said or I think it was maybe the, the first minister who had said that they'd originally been asked for WhatsApp messages by the inquiry in September but now they're saying it was actually February. Bit of a difference. Um, starting with you John, I mean it's just another self-inflicted wound from the government here isn't it?
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, I can't believe that there's anything actually in these WhatsApps that is going to do as much damage as the damage that the perceived cover up in releasing them is doing to the to the government. Um, Surely the best strategy would just have been to put your hands up, say, we've we've not produced these things yet. We're going to do so now. Um, Instead, the government have gone for. Tactic of saying we will release all these messages, but then they've tried to obfuscate the clear backlog of failing to produce them to the inquiry. That's that's, obviously been happening for the last for the last year or so. Um, One of the very interesting things in this, obviously, there's a issue that's been picked up today about whether the first minister's misled Parliament. There's also a very interesting issue with the first minister's own whatsapps and that he has um, said that he will produce them unredacted he's fallen back in this line several times but there's still really big question marks over what he's told the COVID inquiry previously about his whatsapps um and yeah i just gonna ask you about that Joe.
0: just walk, walk us through this element of it because i think you reported did you not a couple of weeks ago it was the, the sunday mail splash that hums yusuf was among um, the, the senior figures who either deleted WhatsApps or there were missing messages, and then he denied that. So j- just just talk us through all
1: yeah, of that. So, the, I mean, the thrust of our story was that Nicola Sturgeon's WhatsApps, that certainly she told the COVID inquiry that he's been deleted. We also included in that story the information that um, Hamza Youssef had told the COVID inquiry that his WhatsApps, hadn't been retained. Um now this information is contained in a table which hasn't been released, I might add, by the COVID inquiry yet. But there is a table in existence that has a list of um ministers. Strongly believe first it would be incredible if the first minister and um and previous first minister weren't on that table. Um John is also on that table. Um our strong understanding is that the information next to Hamza Yusuf's name is that the information hasn't, uh, that the, the, his WhatsApps haven't been retained. Now, he obviously, John Swinney and Nicola Sturgeon have refused many times to clear up whether their, their WhatsApps have been deleted. Hamza Yusuf took a different tact. He didn't say anything about our story, didn't complain about the story, but when he finally appeared in Parliament and was asked about this, he or sorry, when he was asked about it in a television interview, he has said that he, and I quote, doesn't know where that media report came from. He didn't deny the media report, but he said he doesn't know where that came from, and he's retained his WhatsApps and he will um provide them unredacted. Now, the next day it kind of slipped out in a statement from the government that this appeared to be the result of the First Minister finding an old phone which contained these WhatsApps. That's the reason that he can now give them. So what Hamza hasn't cleared up is when did he find this phone and what did he previously tell the COVID inquiry about his WhatsApps? Now, if it's the case that he previously told the what, the COVID inquiry that his WhatsApps <laughs> had not been retained and that the discovery of this old phone was, an extremely recent discovery, i.e. after the furori around the failure to, to, to produce these WhatsApps broke, then it does feel like the, the First Minister has been has, has perhaps misled the media as well as Parliament. So John do you suspect
0: that the, the time your story was published it was accurate that uh, the that, uh, WhatsApps had not been retained and then after that he's found a phone in the house and then maybe coughed up the whatsapps to the inquiry.
1: Yeah, my, yeah, my, yeah. The, the, we, so the, I think that he has told the inquiry previously that his whatsapps haven't been retained. And, you know, this is this is pretty much public record. The KC for the inquiry has said we have a list of 70 names in the Scottish government We've asked them, and that, now it's clear this table doesn't give in. Give the WhatsApps. This was just after months of wrangling over the production of the WhatsApps. They've said, "Look, here's a list of names. Just tell. You don't need to produce the WhatsApps. Just tell us if there are WhatsApps in existence, and if there or if there was, and what's happened to them." Now, my strong understanding is that the the First Minister has said his WhatsApps weren't retained. He now seems to be saying actually has them because he's discovered a new phone, sorry, an old phone. So I think that he's, now I've asked the Scottish Government press office several times just to clear up this timeline. Um, they've failed completely to do so. Um, he's been asked in a television interview to clear up the timeline on when this phone was discovered. He said that he won't be giving a running commentary on that. Now, I think this is important stuff because it's, it has to do with people's trust in the media. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not unreasonable. We're not even asking what's in these WhatsApps at the moment, but I think it's reasonable that Hamza just explains where what he previously told the inquiry and just when he discovered that in actual fact he could produce these WhatsApps that he's been um, very proud of declaring that he's going to provide now unredacted.
0: Um, Dougie, just to bring you in, and clearly the statement yesterday from the Deputy First Minister that relates to the USAF administration, as do any statements made when when Humza is FM. But ultimately, this is about the Sturgeon administration, what they said um, during the pandemic and what they're providing to the inquiry. I mean, to what extent do you think Humza's problems are down to his instinctive loyalty? to His predecessor, um, and the fact that he's just not willing to, you know, for instance, say publicly, Nicola, you know, answer the questions on your WhatsApps, just see if they're deleted or not.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I mean, right away, I think, I think everything here, you know, harks back to, in some ways, Sturgeon's almost dictatorial style of leadership. She was obviously the number one the number one person and um, her fingerprints were in everything and so it's only natural that people think her fingerprints are all over this and she is the one that ultimately is causing him the headache and I think I think he has been painfully um, loyal to her when it's obvious that you know the hangover from her time in office is, 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 is causing him problems. I thought when he came out and claimed that he did have his WhatsApp, that he found this phone, <laughs> I'm, I'm half expecting two days' time for him to reveal that his dogs now eating it, and he can't provide them now. But um, I, I, I actually thought maybe, you know, maybe this was him trying to try to move away from that, but he just keeps digging a bigger hole for himself. And I think I think ultimately the whole thing comes down to you know a real real culture a real culture, yeah, culture cover up within yeah. the SNP. This idea that they, they, whenever they're questioned on things like this, they, they just kind of throw their hands up and act completely shocked and as if we've got the cheek to, you know, question them on this. I, I think they treat voters, I think they treat the media, and I think they treat Parliament with a, a real degree of contempt when it comes to things like this. Um, this isn't the first time, this isn't the first time, whom's a of this week's been pulled up on making potentially misleading statements in Parliament, it just erodes trust in the government. Um, it, it, it's, it's just a complete nightmare for him, but it's 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 very much, as you said at the start, it's one of his own making. And I think ultimately does, uh, you know, does hat back to Nicola Sturgeon's time in office, and he seems very, very reluctant to cut himself away from that. He, he, I, I, I don't know if he thinks Sturgeon's still a vote winner with some people, and, uh, you know, by turning on her... Of course, he was seen as Sturgeon's, you know, the continuity candidate. Does he think if he does turn out to Sturgeon and say, look, you're going to need to fess up on this? You know, is he going to be, is is he worried about, you know, guilt by association? But it's just a complete, it's just a complete mess. But I I think you've seen at Holyrood today, FMQs, when he was questioned on it, he he was very animated, very angry about it, very irritated. Uh, And I think the message was clear. The the message for Humza Yusuf is, you know, how how dare you question us on this? And I I think that's a really rotten attitude for a politician to take. And Dougie, it's
0: difficult to see how they can shut this down. I mean, there's so many twists and turns and different angles to this story. You know, you've got the, the procedural stuff about when they tell the inquiry, about all the different aspects And then you've got the issue about deletions, and of course, I think the Scottish government has brought in uh, IT experts to try and get to the bottom of that. And then, of course, once the WhatsApps are published, there will inevitably be some sort of embarrassing material. And then you've got people giving evidence like uh, Hamza and Nicola and Jason Leach to the inquiry. So this is just going to go on and on and on for months. And then we're into the general election people will remember
2: I, 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 I mean if there's one thing the SNP have been good at and if there's one thing they like is to be in complete control of a story and this is a story that's just completely out of their control and like you say it's it's not going to stop um, no matter what comes out in these messages now uh, and as John said you know it might not be as bad as some of the ones that we've seen at the UK inquiry um, from UK government ministers but there's always going to be a question mark over it now, and that's that's because they've 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 turned it into something that should never have been. They should just have uh, handed them over. They should just have uh, fessed up. But now, because you know this has been ongoing effectively nine months now, because they were asked about it in February, uh, you, you know there's always going to be a cloud hanging over this. You know what are they hiding? Um, what message was sent over? They've made a big you know they've made a big deal of this 14,000 14, messages. I mean I mean Matt Hancock handed over a hundred thousand himself. You know, so fourteen thousand might sound like a big number, but it's not. You, you know, in terms of this, and they've just they've just lost control of the narrative. It's something you know, Alex Salmon was good at taking control of the narrative. Nicholas Sturgeon was good at taking control of the narrative, but who's Yusuf is 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 hopeless at it, and it's shown. And I think um, uh, you know this is going to be a massive massive black mark as we uh, as we head into the. General election. Uh, no doubt. i will just uh, see you
0: this time next week for the latest uh, instalment in this dismal Netflix blockbuster. So
2: moving Maybe on. Find so on old, old phones. Maybe they've all got old phones on the side of their, you know, couch, and they might. Indeed. turn up.
1: Are, are they burner phones?
0: <laughs> well, well, let's not get into that. That's a different story, John. <laughs> 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 I do, I do love that phrase, burner phone. It's yeah. just, it's, it's so sleazy. Um, King's Speech, John, um, as we know, uh, the number one issue facing families across the UK is the cost of living crisis. Um, did the Tories put that front and centre of the King's Speech or was it just the usual niche Tory bollocks? I
1: mean, there was a couple of things in there, wasn't there, but the, really it's just it's difficult to see what the Conservatives have to offer really to um to your average man or woman on the the street they seem so preoccupied with sowing division in every way possible rather than actually delivering things that are going to make life better for for people. So I mean yeah, perhaps there was a few things in there that you could point to as as potentially being Helpful to people, but you get a feeling that are just going to be subsumed by um, the by the inflation and, and rising interest rates and all of the other terrible things that are higher fuel prices, all the terrible things that are coming down the line. It does feel like the conservative just out of ideas, really, and that there's you're, you're you're kind of waiting for a for someone new to come in next year.
0: And um, Dougie. Do you get the impression there's a sort of split in the government? You've got people like Sunak and certainly the Chancellor Jeremy Hunt wanting to focus on the cost of living, yet the, their message has been drowned out by people like Suella Braverman, who's you know making offensive claims like homelessness as a lifestyle choice. Do you think there's a tension there um, that's unresolved?
2: I, I don't know if... Well, I think there probably is. I mean, we've seen Rishi Sunak... Um, today, uh, he spokesman distanced himself from, from Suella Braverman's comments about the Met Police. Uh, although he still, you know, he says he still has confidence in her. And I think that's, you know, for any for any political party that is a relatively broad church, uh, you know, you're always going to have that tension between two rival factions in it. Um, I think Rishi Sunat's a bright guy. Um, a lot of the King's speech felt like it was stuff that was kind of important to him, you know, the stamp out smoking and kind of things like that. It was stuff that was personal to him. And I think guys like him and Jeremy Hunt probably do want to focus on the day-to-day issues. Um, you know, I think they would love to come up with a, a way to solve the cost of living cri- uh, crisis less than a year before a general election. Uh, doubtful that, anyone was going to come up for that uh, with that in that time. But yeah, and then you've got obviously um Sula Braverman, um, amongst others. Some of them no longer in um uh, in government, you know, Jacob rees Mogg, guys like that who seem to want to play these kind of culture wars. Um and I think I think the problem there is that when people like Sula Braverman might might have a point on certain things, it, it, it it kind of gets drowned out by what they've said before and when Rich uh, and when Rishi Sunak then goes into these kind of arguments then what Svella Braverman has said before drowns out what he's saying, even if he's made a good point. Um, I think all in all you know, the, the Tories are increasing a lot like a party who know that they're, that they're primed for opposition, for a period in opposition, and I think they're trying to shore up or core vote to make sure that what happens next year at the general election isn't isn't as bad as maybe the polls are suggesting they will be. Uh, overall, I thought the King's speech was pretty uninspiring. Um, I was going to
0: say, that you know, even, even for someone, like, say you've got a Conservative supporter watching the King's speech, Doug, yeah. it, it just didn't feel like a sort of springboard no. Um, no. To, to closing the polling gap. I just didn't see things in there that are really going to, Inspire people uh, and change the political weather. It, it, it felt like a an end of days, um, sort of rushed, panicked
2: King speech that's just going to um, be ignored by people. I don't think they would help with the fact that uh, Charles looked like he was reading a ransom note at times during that. Uh, it, it didn't look uh, infused at all. Uh, you know, sure. you could almost see him grimace, uh, grimace when he was talking about North Sea oil. Um but yeah, I, I mean ultimately there was you know there was very little new in it. There was some good things in it, I thought, um, stuff that maybe Hollywood should look at. Uh, obviously, you know, Scottish Express readers would maybe want to see the the Scottish Government fall on in, in terms of the sentencing bill. Um, you know, given the SNP's sentencing guide well, the the guidelines by the Independent Sentencing Council, which was set up by the SNP, as uh, uh, obviously is, um you know, for under twenty five and in terms of softer sentences, I think people would would maybe look at that as a good thing. I, I think another one, another interesting one, in a personal point of view, was the football governance bill for England. Is that something we should maybe look at here? Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the Holocaust, uh, the Holocaust Memorial Bill, really important right now, at a time when you know British. Jews feel feel under threat, they feel under under attack. So there was some good stuff in it, but it was it was it was pretty uninspiring all, all, all in all. I don't think you can, you know, dress it up any other way. It was very much it wasn't something I think to get, you know, our readers excited at all.
0: Um complete change of subject, John. Uh, this week you and I were at uh, the launch of Labour MSP Monica Lennon's members bill to criminalise ecocide, Um, and uh, I think this would apply to really damaging environmental breaches that help trash the planet. Things like um, oil spills and uh, unsustainable fishing practices, that sort of thing. And she's proposing in her member's bill uh, prison sentences uh, of between 10 and 20 years um, what do you make of the proposal uh, and what do you think the chances are of it uh, passing in some form?
1: I think that there's a high likelihood that the, back, the bill will pass in some form just because it sounds to me something that will probably have quite a lot of support from the or potentially have support of the SNP and obviously the Greens and um, and a lot of Labour MSPs, it's, it does strike me as a as a um, bill, where the devil really will be in the detail in terms of just how far is this going to go, and how likely is it that you would ever see prosecutions? Uh, you know how how scary will this really be for people running companies or um, whatever that might be doing um, environmentally damaging things? But I mean, in principle, it does seem like a good idea. I think the the fundamentally what it's about is a recognition of the fact that at the moment there are legal protections for the environment but that they're not adhered to because big companies will generally weigh things up in a spreadsheet and they'll think well what should will we to to stop doing this will cost us x amount um to keep on uh, in terms of a fine or something like that to keep on doing it will make even more money so let's just keep on doing it. And if we happen to be fined by the um, SEPA or the Environmental Protection Agency or whatever, then so be it. Um, The idea here here is that when companies are making those decisions, they're going to need to be a lot more careful because the downside could be uh, a number of years, potentially 20 years in jail for the head of the business. Um, Now that on the face of it does sound like something that would be an incentive not to damage the environment. I think where this, is going to get really interesting and it's, at this stage it, might, it's, it will be the amendments to this bill that will kind of um, decide whether it's going to go through or not it Will be uh, when you get to the nitty gritty of looking at would this potentially mean for example that um, new oil licences might mm. not be granted or might not be able to be um, put into action because the heads of oil companies will feel that they're potentially going to be breach of criminal law and at risk of a jail sentence. Um, it's, so it's you know it's the, that, those kind of really nitty gritty issues um, that that are, are likely to put off quite a lot of MSPs. But if, if it's something that just broadly, I mean the, the, the idea is that this is something that would be used in, pra- in practice very few times, but that will act as a kind of um, a, a deterrent to 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 things that are very damaging. I think one company, I mean, an obvious thing would be Scottish Water, for example, there's been loads of issues of um, like sewage overflows and pushing, putting of beaches and rivers um, that, that Scottish Water are fined on a pretty regular basis for this sort of activity. Um, would they change the way they operated if they felt that the downside was going to be a jail sentence rather than a fine?
0: Mm. And Doug, you just, I'm trying to imagine if I was a government advisor or a government minister just now. Clearly, it's a proposal by a Labour MSP, but um, you know, clearly, they will agree with the principle of criminalising ecocide. It doesn't cost them any money. Um, it, it, it will have symbolic importance in, in terms of Scotland being forced in the UK um, to, to go down this route. You could probably see the attractions for Hamza Yusuf in supporting it.
2: Yeah. I, uh... Absolutely, can see the attraction and Apart from anything else, I think, I think your average voter in the street is is going to be be pleased that action appears to be getting taken ahead of actual, you know, actual politics. I think there's a, a feeling that under this government, especially the Greens in government, that ordinary people are kind of bearing the brunt of their environmental policies. I mean, we would on a Slater this week, you know, talking about the you know recycling bins, and there's a potential for. Uh, Been fined if you put things in the wrong bin. Uh, you know you've got Patrick Harvey saying, "Oh, you need to spend thousands of pounds putting heat pumps in your home." Um, I think I, th- I think people will be glad to see companies who actually damage the planet rather than someone that puts a, a can of iron brew in the uh, you know in the paper bin by accident uh, uh, are the ones being you know targeted. I think I, I think for too long it's it's, it's, it's ordinary punters who who've who've, who've, who've bowed the brunt. That um, those kind of environmental policies. So, uh, I, I, I like John, I think it will go ahead uh, in, uh, in some form, and I think we'll probably go ahead with support from almost every you know, every party, probably in Horrid. Yeah.
0: Um, John, my favorite story of the week Health Secretary Michael Matheson, uh, emerged that in relation to a parliamentary device, I think it was an iPad, managed to rack up an 11 grand data roaming bill when he was on a family holiday in Morocco and uh, he's going to pay back three grand, I think, through parliamentary expenses. What's going on here?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, looks, it looks like, to, it doesn't look like Michael Matheson personally will be paying back any anything for this huge bill that taxpayers will be one way or the other picking it up in full um He's gone on holiday to Morocco, um, he's had his iPad with him for some reason, depending on what tariff he's been on, he's ended up running up huge, um, huge a huge bill because he's been outside of the normal free data roaming area. Um, he's then, I'm not sure at what point he's discovered what's happened, but he's um, insisted that... This wasn't really his fault. It was all parliamentary business that he was doing on the iPad and that um, the the taxpayers, rather than him, should pick up the bill. Um, so, I mean, it does sound like he's been incredibly stupid to have allowed this to happen. I wonder whether it would have happened if it had been his own phone that he'd been using or whether he would have been much more careful to make sure that he, he wasn't going to incur huge roaming fees. Um, and also, there's obviously a, a big question mark over exactly what was going on on this iPad. He's either the hardest working minister in Scotland, having been, you know, spending 24 hours a day on government business while on holiday over Christmas, or I don't know. Perhaps someone else was using his iPad, and this wasn't actually government business. Yeah,
0: Yeah, Dougie, it all seems rather odd. I mean, there was a a huddle with Matheson after PMQs at a media huddle, and he answered one question before um, walking away very briskly into the Ministerial Tower. Almost like he didn't want to discuss it at length. Well, was he watching? Was it Match of the Day on loop?
2: Well, uh, I I I heard Jackie Bailey this morning saying that he must have been watching Netflix, so
0: No, no, no. He, I'll give you an example. She said Netflix or something,
2: or or something. Yeah. So, or Netflix maybe. Um. Mm -hmm. But uh, I had I had a wee look through uh, Netflix this morning to see what he might have been watching. So I've got a few theories. On you go. Uh, An episode of Stranger Things, where Humsa Yusuf owns up to misleading Parliament because Stranger Things have happened. Uh, There's also a show called Survival of the Thickest, which I think. Is pretty self-explanatory, and there's some good movies on them relating, uh, relating to, the forum relating to the um administration. Scary movie, Under Siege is available, uh, but one I know he definitely wouldn't have watched that. Now I've never seen this film, but it's called The Vow. Uh, I'm told it stars Rachel McAdam and Channing Tatum, and not Gordon Brown. But I'm pretty sure Michael would have stayed away from that one.
0: Viewers, um, uh, Douglas Dickey works for the Scottish Daily Express. Just to. <laughs> <laughs> just, just to clarify, good films, uh, some of them, yeah, yeah. Um,
2: uh, Under siege is good. About Steven Seagal, can't beat Yeah,
0: yeah And great. I know you'd like
2: the Vowpal, so. Um,
0: yes, no, we, we, uh, yes, that that that's that associated with the Daily Record. Yes, thanks for reminding us of that. Absolutely. Um, moving on, then. Good week, bad
1: week. Start with you, John. Hey, uh, well, just so I think it's been a bad week for um, Michael. Batherson, for the reasons we we're discussing there, he's a strange minister, Michael, and that he's one of these kind of quite unassuming guys that just seems to go beneath the radar. They sort of assumes that he's working away hard. He doesn't do that much or tries to avoid the media as much as possible. Um, so this, you know, this throws up all sorts of questions about his his competence and um, and yeah, you know, I think people will be wondering whether we've just paid. 11,000 pound bill for someone to have been watching Netflix or something like that over his holidays. Um, I think it's been a good week for Monica Lennon with the announcement of this new bill that she's um, championing ecocide. She's already had a huge success (laughs) in um, in having our period poverty bill become law. If she was to do so again with this one, then that would be two sort of world-first bills is would make headlines around the world, so you've got to take your hat off. she's, she's certainly knows how to pick issues that mean something to people and uh, ideas that can actually be turned into effective laws. Dougie, over to you. Yeah, it's been a bad week for
2: transparency in government, another example of uh, the SNP trying to sweep things under the carpet. Uh, in terms of the COVID WhatsApp messages, when exactly they were they were requested, exactly how many they are, when they're going to get handed over, who's going to hand them over, you know everything to do with it. The SMP rebuttal service that they're, that they're setting up certainly going to be busy. And I think it's been uh, a good week for Douglas Ross, who comes to. Always a
0: good week for Douglas Ross.
2: I, I think this might be the first time actually. But um you're of the Ben Borland, then I try and. Uh, I try and you know I try and mix it up. I try and not be too partisan, but uh, I think I think Douglas did uh, easily get the better of Humsa Yusuf for FMQs today. He uh, it, it kind of reduced him to a bit of a gibber and wreck, just shouting about Boris Johnson constantly. And I think he brought uh, you know the side of Humsa Yusuf that he's been trying to keep quiet, and that's somebody who's, who's extremely angry and quite frankly out of depth. So uh, I think it was a, a good performance, a can performance from Douglas Ross, uh, and I think it was. Um, a, a comprehensive victory for him at uh, FMQs?
0: Yeah, I think it was a very, very difficult FMQs for Use of Youssef. I mean, you, d- you just cannot possibly square the earlier statement with the one that Sean Robeson gave yesterday. He was always going to get over uh, FMQs and
1: so removed. It was interesting that the main... I... Tackline. He he fell back on saying, "Well, all the WhatsApps that were given by the Tories to the UK inquiry revealed them to be fighting like rats in a sack." But I mean, it really only highlights the issue that, "Well, what's in your WhatsApps?"
0: Yeah, I know. It's 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 not it's not a good issue for him in any way uh, at all. It's just the sooner he gets past this, the better for him. He's under siege, just um, like Stephen Seagal. Under siege, yes, yes, he's under siege. <laughs> right, I think that wraps up for another week. Um, thanks to John and to Douglas, uh, that was terrific, and I hope you can all join us again next week for the latest instalment in the WhatsApp scandal.
1: It's important we look at the facts. Mm. Why? Why?
2: Douglas Ross is sounding pretty scared. Because
1: I believe in independence.
0: And he clapped like a seal. <laughs>